0: And we've got our good friend, Mr. Al Bat to join us right now on the show. Good morning, Al.
1: Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. I am uh, pretty much always the last one to know uh, <laughs> almost everything. So, But i uh never the sounds of silence, so I, <laughs> I fit in both of those, sort of.
0: See, I always try and play the set just so it fits you, Al.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, riding in a friend's car. We were in uh, Colorado, of all places, uh, a day or two ago, and we are driving along. Oh, the traffic is just, it's insane on 70, and they have three lanes that go through these tunnels, so then there are two lanes, and it's just really slow, and we're listening to music and he has a, a playlist, and he's running it through his phone, through the, the rental car. Does, it's hard, isn't it, to like everything on another person's playlist? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yes. Without being rude, saying, why on earth are you playing that? <laughs> yes. So, but he had some stuff that uh, he played some Simon and Garfunkel and Melissa Etheridge, and I just love those uh, two. So, so, Al, what uh, did
0: he play that you didn't like? I'm just curious.
1: Uh, incessant beetles. And I, oh. it's not that I don't like beetles, but Too much. You know, I, want them, yeah, yeah. I want them interspersed with something else. And gotcha. I know there's a lot of folks out there. I have a lot of friends who could, I think, listen to beetles 24 hours a day. Like shy boy I Tim want,
0: probably, yeah. For sure. Yeah,
1: I want some Rolling Stones thrown in there and <laughs> Kinks if we're going to go all English. I want some different things thrown in there here and there. And uh, but it was he was driving and it was his car. So man, I'm I'm so appreciative <laughs> of him for picking up this wayfaring stranger. It was uh, he was a good guy. We've known each other for a hundred years, so you kind of know what to expect too. So I used to ride with a friend, and all he had it was back in the cassette days. He had one cassette, and it was The Doors' Greatest Hits, so we put on hundreds of miles listening to The Doors uh, singing the same songs over and over again. (laughs) They were good, but again, you know, that's one of the great things about KMSU is the diversity of, uh, of music. You can hear uh, something, and uh, nobody can like everything, I don't think. Even the people that say, I like every kind of music, they mm. probably don't. Right. Uh, but you can hear it on KMSU, and uh, I appreciate all you good folks. You know, we can all look through the same window but see different things, and a friend uh, used to see Bambi out her window until the deer chowed down on her garden and now she sees Damby she says so it's uh, that, that little deer has changed a lot I appreciate bird feeders more I think each year I want the common birds to remain common And uh, blue jays and cardinals have processed much of their molts, and they no longer look like messy birds. And I know you have a lot of blue jays in your yard, uh, even as we
0: speak. I was shocked, because I've never seen, well, I've hardly ever see blue jays, for one thing. And all of a sudden, it was, I think it was just this past weekend, I don't know if it was Saturday or Sunday, but... Grant, my son, was looking. He goes, Mom, look at the blue jays. And I figured there was one. There was six blue jays hanging out, so I put a bunch of sunflower seeds out there. They had apparently been picking up some that had been remaining from a previous time. So I went and got a whole uh, container full, and I sprinkled it all over the deck. And so we had just a... F- feast. I don't know what you call a flock of of blue jays, particularly just a flock. Maybe there's another word, but it was just so cool seeing because they're such big and bright birds, and I just thought, why are they all of a sudden in my backyard when I haven't hardly seen them?
1: I uh, was walking with a friend, Mark Sorensen, and we were walking along the edge of Geneva Lake. Which is a, just a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful lake here in southern Minnesota, and we saw blue jays here and there, and they were everywhere. We were, there were blue jays, and they were making the ones that we hear a lot will make red-tail hawk sounds because that's what they grow up with oh. hearing that whistle of red-tail hawks, so they'll make that. Well, all of a sudden, I heard a broad-winged hawk. Uh, whistle, so we we had to stop, and i said uh, i 'm going to say that 's probably a blue jay, and it was a blue jay and it the reason it was making a broad hawk sound is because it 's a tourist it 's coming from somewhere where broad wing hawks oh. uh, sing or whistle, and so that 's what it learned and from oh, i 'm going to say August fourteenth to I think the last time I checked was september twenty fifth There had been fifty-seven thousand and twenty southbound migrating blue jays counted at Hawk Ridge and Duluth, and that you know that sounds like a lot, but not uh, an incredible amount. But that's just one small part of their migration coming along the edge of Lake Superior. So we have a lot of them migrating from the northern parts, Canada and northern Minnesota, that are coming through here. So sometimes they join up with. uh, local blue jays sometimes they don't get along real well because the local blue jays might be a little territorial yet and just say we just soon you keep moving on but we'll start seeing sizable flocks of these guys and they're just moving around they got nowhere they have to be they're uh, looking for a place where they can hunker down for the winter so it's really neat to see them and as far as a flock of blue jays, the thing I hear most often is a scold scold. a scold. S-C-O-L-D. And I think that's a wonderful name, a scold of jays. But I've also heard a band of jays, a cast of jays, a party of jays, which is probably a pretty good descriptive collective noun for them, too. But uh, they do bring... You know, when we get into fall when it uh, there's a lot of brown, and then we get into winter where there's a lot of white, of course, it's nice to see the beautiful blue of these birds uh, there. And they let us know when they're there. They're not quiet. Uh, the sounds of silence are, are not typically with blue jays either. Uh, keep a sharp eye out for American, or maybe two, uh, ice for American coots <laughs> or mud hens they're going to be on the water or grazing on the land around a lake, and they come up and we eat grass and things we'll see a lot of native sparrows, so sparrows will become a a very diverse group we'll still see red meadowhawks these are dragonflies, and they continue to dazzle and I see them into November most years, they can take a lot of cold. Piedbilled grebes, um, oh, I saw a lot of those the other day, and they need these long, running, flapping starts to take off from water. And the Latin genus name for grebe means feet at the buttocks. (laughs) So if you can all picture that, that perfectly describes the body type of a piedbilled grebe. Mm -hmm. And the position of their legs as you might imagine, will help to propel them through the water when they dive after prey. And then what do they eat? Uh, crustaceans, small fish primarily. And that, But that rear placement of their legs means, boy, it's, it's really hard to lift that weight of their bodies, causing them to walk awkwardly on land. And it makes it difficult for them to take flight from dry land and sometimes when in flight and they're looking for a body of water, They're hungry, they're tired, they need some water to splash into, grebes will mistakenly land on wet pavement, which Uh gives the illusion of a pond or lake from the air. And even if they escape from the crash landing unscathed, their unique adaptations for the water prevent them from getting back into the air, and they're stranded on the ground. Uh, Mark Sornson, the fellow I was walking with around Geneva Lake, he's from Hollanddale, He said he found a stranded grebe, Piedmill grebe, and he planned to take it to the lake, but he wanted it to show to, show it to his wife first, just wanted to see, so, oh, such a cute thing. And boy, that proved to be a mistake. Uh, once inside his house, well, let me put it this way. It should have, the grebe should have been wearing a diaper and the grebe was released into the water and it, uh, Took off, so he thought it was okay. And Mark's home got an unexpected cleaning out of the deal. <laughs> I uh, was working in Colorado, as I mentioned, I had a handsome Canada Jay land on my hand to pluck a morsel of food from it. The Jay, also called a Gray Jay, Whiskey Jack, or Camp Robber, is known for this behavior, and it made me smile for days. Uh, Tim Scott sent me a thing from The Guardian. He should, It should thus be of deep concern to all of us that insects appear to be disappearing from the earth at alarming rates. In Germany, flying insects have declined by 70... I don't know if that's a 6 or an 8. It kind of joined with the percentage. I think it's 76%. And in just 26 years that has happened... In the U.K., the common butterfly population have fallen by 40, and it's the same thing. I think it's 46% since 1976, and the rarer ones by 77%, despite great efforts to protect them. 13 bee species in the U.K. have gone extinct, and more will probably follow. In the U.S., the celebrated monarch butterfly, famed for its annual migration between Mexico and Canada, has declined by more than 80% since the 1980s. The monarch population west of the Rockies is down 99.9% in the last couple of decades. And that, uh, you know, it it looks headed for extinction within a year or two unless something really strange happens, or good, something really good happens. Uh, Chad Hines said Zach Reinhart helped fill in for me at the Bethany Hawk Watch on a busy day, but it was surprisingly slow at that site. The other site, uh, the Land of Memories, had a couple of hours with big kettles of broadwings. Zach did have one dark morph broadwing hawk amongst nine species of raptors. And the broadwings are those, if you're out walking around sometimes, you look up and you see these uh, great number of hawks high in the sky. Those are typically broadwing hawks. Uh, Lorna Berg of Albert Lee saw a black-throated blue warbler and sent me some photos. And uh, Lorna, all I can say is, wow, that was one handsome bird. Uh, Brian Smith of Sleepy Eye saw a yellow-billed cuckoo at the Swan Lake WMA, that's the Nicolet Landing. Uh, he also saw a short-billed dowager in a Wilson's fallow at the Sleepy Eye water treatment plant. Uh, Gunner Berg of Albert Lee saw a wood thrush. Vicky Laroon had a Tennessee warbler and a pileated woodpecker. Uh, Andrew Nyhus saw a grasshopper sparrow in Renville County and a Nelson's sparrow in uh, Redwood County. A listener says, Al, what is a duck hawk? Hmm. Well, the duck hawk, when I, when I hear that duck hawk, I think of a peregrine falcon. Um, the American kestrel is a sparrow hawk, the merlin is a pigeon hawk, the osprey is a fish hawk and the cooper's hawk is the chicken hawk although many other birds of prey have been called chicken hawks. And we got a a nice message from from Rich said mm-hmm. saw a the tiniest hummingbird feeding on my yellow flowers was it a bit was a bit more than one inch long, with two little dots on its back, so small. Can't be Cuban up here, could it? Maybe you've seen one. I've not, Rich. The two little dots on the back uh, on the end of the tail are indicative of a female or young, typically ruby-throated. Our smallest hummingbird that uh, is seen in the US with any regularity is the calliope. Uh, I I can't tell you that would be what it is, Rich. I'm sorry. Um, I know if you can get a photo or something on it with your help, and it's all, Rich, man, it's always great to hear from you. They're, um, some of them differ in size. Uh, even ruby-throated, some are bigger than others. Uh, it's hard to tell a whole lot of difference between them. Cause Could so it be a baby, depressive. perhaps,
0: or a baby, like a, a, a young one, or don't they? fly until they should
1: normal. be the the same size oh, as okay. the parent or you know uh, they could be a little bit smaller but mm-hmm. the adults could be a little bit smaller than another oh. adult too and again just genetics and things come in there so rich i'm going to have to give you a definite <laughs> i don't know so well. and, and rich you know how hard that is for a man to say something like that i do not know i was uh, i remember a flight attendant one time said, she's given all the announcement, and she said, in uh, in the case of some sort of uh, event, a terrible event, and you don't know what to do, ask a man, because they know everything. <laughs> so that was... Uh, I see gulls following farm tractors. What are they eating? I bet uh, she means, what are the gulls eating, not the farm tractors? So <laughs> uh, the gulls are the gulls follow farmers working the fields and the gulls devour worms insects mice uh, waste grain they'll check out pretty much anything that implement whatever the implement is uh, a plow or disk or and then, of course, during harvest, oh, man, they got all kinds of things to eat out there that uh, the tractors and combines have uh, put out for them.
0: We used to have um, the the uh, local, I don't know, the, the, a local uh, uh, food production plant used to spread like tapioca pudding on the, the oh. fields that didn't turn out or something, you know, it wasn't quite right or something. So we would have literally... Flocks and flocks you know on the on the black soil that would be just covered with white with the seagulls following as the manure spreader was spreading out the this um tapioca mix of whatever and it was just amazing to see so my dad and his tractor would just be followed by all these birds all over the field, and so they must obviously like the i don't know tapioca whatever i don't know what what is exactly tapioca is that a grain or is it a i'm not really sure
1: fish eyes no. Fish ice. <laughs> <laughs> I would be out there in the field. I love tapioca. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, it was really that funny, is, though,
0: to see that.
1: Oh, tapioca with a little dab of, like, Cool Whip or whipped cream on top and then a maraschino cherry right in the middle. and You got yourself a meal right there. Yes. Oh, man. I'm going to be thinking about all those gulls out in the fields. And the ones we see here, when I was a kid out in the tractor, the ones that t- typically came up were uh, Franklin's gulls. And if you see them now, they're, uh, the one we see most often here are ringbill gulls, and they are the ones that primarily follow tractors now. Uh-huh. But Franklin's gulls are daintier, a little more turn-like in their flight, and they'll have a little bit of black on the head now. Uh, during the breeding season, their heads are black, but during this time of the year, they got a little black on there. So they are much smaller than the ringbill gulls, and uh I always love Franklin's gulls. I just think they're beautiful. I don't, I, I certainly don't have anything against ringbill gulls, but uh I just, you know, ringbill gulls we think of them where are they? They're at the garbage dump, the landfills, uh, the drive-through at McDonald's. That, that's where we see them. And the Franklin's gulls are more uh they seem to be more out in the fields and uh, on our lakes and they're they're just beautiful and a lot of those are still passing through here now. Uh, I got this from three different people. Uh, how can I keep the honeybees off my hummingbird feeder if you can If your hummingbird feeder doesn 't have those little yellow flowers on it it 's usually better to keep bees off wow. and If you have them on there, you can remove them from a feeder. Uh, then bees aren't so likely. They seem to really like that yellow color. Well, do hummingbirds
0: do hummingbirds really like the yellow color Why they put them on there, too? Is there a reason? I think we all think that you have to have the red food coloring in there, and that's the only way the hummingbirds will come to your hummingbird feeder. I think that's the thought process, but is that the case?
1: No, uh, they do like red, so oh. it's good to have red on there. You don't need red food colors if your hummingbird feeder has no red on it. Uh, tie a little red ribbon around it, anything on there that's red. You could put a red bow tie on it, anything red, and they will be attracted to it. The yellow on there seems to be more attractive for the bees. So, Honeybees are wonderful, and boy, there's nothing wrong with feeding them. You could use a concentrated sugar-water mix, maybe two parts water to one part sugar, a really strong mix, and pour it into a shallow plate. If it was a yellow shallow plate, it'd be uh, ideal. But place that plate near the hummingbird feeder, and the bees would probably find that more attractive and be down in there instead of on your... On your hummingbird feeder, but again, boy, it's uh, it's not wrong to feed the honeybees either. They're just uh, they are. I love honeybees uh, for several reasons. They're they're cute little chubby guys, and you just look at them and say, "cute." They're as busy as bees. You got to <laughs> love anything as busy as a bee.
0: And honey, and
1: they make honey. <laughs> oh man! And I have mentioned this. I know when I was a kid. We had Wonder Bread. I'd put Clark's Grove Creamery Butter on there and then uh, just kind of pinch sugar around it uh, and then put honey on top. Sugar and honey sandwiches were a delightful thing for a little boy, where you just couldn't get enough of that kind of thing, and it was almost healthy. You know, the, you had the, <laughs> the Wonder Bread, of course, which helped build strong bodies twelve different ways, uh, and a little bit of sugar, but the honey on there—I just—we figured that offset everything else by putting the honey on there, so it was because, almost a health food.
0: To because us. it's natural, right? That's
1: that's <laughs> right, and oh, and it—it it was delicious. Boy, it was just so much fun to eat those things. Uh, it got a little sticky sometimes, mm. of course, but pretty much everything little boys ate got sticky one way or another. Uh, Al, have you ever been to the Great Salt Lake, and is it really saltier than the oceans? Uh, that's I have been there, and that's what I was told on my visit there. The Great Salt Lake varies between, I think it was like 5 and 27% salinity. So the oceans have 3.5%, so it's a lot saltier. My wife and I had the pleasure some years ago, the Dead Sea, visiting there. And that uh, salt content, 34% there. Oh. So it is a salty place, the, the Dead Sea. So it was, uh, but the Great Salt Lake, I just had a wonderful time visiting there. Uh, we have a wonderful buffalo herd at uh and just uh, it's my wife and i have visited there a number of times driving around looking at the buffalo and i know they're bison but let's face it folks we call them <laughs> buffalo all the time i think if a lot of folks if you said bison they would give you an odd look and it would register sooner or later but we all think buffalo so i'm going to call them buffalo and someone asked where are the largest public buffalo herds in the united states the largest is in uh, Yellowstone National Park, and I know a lot of people have been there and probably seen the buffalo. Another one is Custer State Park in South Dakota, and again, I know a lot of folks have been there and mm-hmm. seen them. The third one is Antelope Island in Utah, and I have been there, and uh, I remember seeing uh, all the uh, all the birds out there, too, around that area, uh, American avocets and things, but they have a large buffalo. So those are the three largest that I'm aware of in the United States, and there's just something about getting out there and seeing those buffalo, these great animals moving slowly across the grassland. And it's it's a wonderful thing. It's one of those that kind of burn into your brain, and now, you can see it just by closing your eyes.
0: Don't we have those in Blue Mound State Park? And, of course, we've got them in the Minneopa State Park here in Mankato. So Minnesota's got yep. its own bison, and I think some were considered the original genetics of the, the bison breed, so I think it's kind of cool that we have them so close to home. Not in the great numbers like the other places you mentioned, but it's just really cool to have them close to home.
1: It is, and I think, uh, I hope I'm right on this, but I believe the ones like a Miniopa and Blue Mound have a purity of genetics that aren't always available in a lot of these other ones. A lot of the other ones have uh, cattle genes Mm -hmm. in there, so they're not Quite the uh, the American bison uh, that uh, the ones we have here local are. And I, boy, I highly recommend just going out to Mini Open and just driving through there. And pretend you're in a covered wagon. Just you're in a covered wagon and you're coming up on these. So it's you have a covered wagon with beetles playing on the radio probably, but <laughs> still, it's a it's a covered wagon. And you can see all those things out there. And I remember being out in Montana and visiting a couple buffalo jumps where they used to drive the buffalo off these cliffs and they'd fall the to the ground there, and uh, the Native Americans did that a lot, and I'm sure uh, the white settlers did as well. So they would uh, harvest buffalo without uh, firing a shot or an arrow or whatever they were hunting with at that time. And seeing these photos, these old, old photos of stacks of buffalo skulls just piled up high, they did start to use a lot of those bones later on for fertilizer of certain kind, but there was uh, just uh, so much waste by our ancestors out there uh, in, a, in times of abundance like that, where you think uh, there's a never-ending supply of something. Uh, humans we tend to we tend to overuse sometimes. I don't think that's a secret. Uh, from anybody but seeing those old photos just uh you know it brought a tear to your eye looking at all that and saying oh what were we thinking but the buffalo are doing well now so that's uh that's a good thing and it uh i'm glad it worked out that way because it was scary there for a while how many national parks are there in minnesota uh, technically there's only one national park and that's voyagers national park But we have two national monuments. We have, uh, what is it, a National Scenic Trail. We have a National Scenic Riverway. We have a National River and Recreation Area. The one that we think about a lot here is the Pipestone National Monument, but there's a Grand Portage National Monument, uh, the Mississippi National River and Recreation Area. Uh, the Saint Croix National, let's see, National Scenic Riverway, I think, is the correct title there, and North Country National Scenic. So there's a a lot of places we are lucky uh, to live in Minnesota where we have so many things, and and that's not even to mention the state parks, and uh, we, it's it's a great state if you want to just go out and just um, you know dance down a trail or something and see things it's a a great place to live Uh, a a young boy said why do zebras have stripes is it so animal (laughs) predators can't find them Um, it's not for camouflage
0: it's Uh, not because that would make sense when you know you have the shadows and things between the trees that that would help
1: and that's what I always thought. But recent research, they're doing a lot of research on zebras because they're doing a lot of research on pretty much everything. And it used to be they thought the stripes were for camouflage mm-hmm. or it was for cooling. Oh. And somehow those stripes help keep um, an animal cool. And some said it was just for individual recognition, saying, oh, that, look at that stripe, that's Bob over there. He has that stripe. <laughs> But they think now that the primary reason, now these other things might all come into play, but the primary reason is to confuse biting flies. So it's uh, it's great. I've read this long article about that. I can't tell you what it was in or how long ago I read that. I mean, it was in the recent year or so. But to confuse biting flies. And if you're out there with millions of biting flies. I would think that would be a primary focus if you could find some way to confuse those biting flies. It's like me today. I go outside those multicolored Asian lady beetles are everywhere. I I got bit on the elbow by one. Folks it hurt. I I went oh I dropped a tomato I was picking because that thing bit me on the elbow. They're just everywhere out there now and I think I might we're Striped clothing today, just to confuse those multicolored Asian lady beetles. And uh, I will report back if that was any help. I just, uh, they're, they're such cute little guys. And I know uh, some uh, researchers say, well, they're not really biting you. They're just pinching you to see if you're, you know, an aphid <laughs> or something. I say, no, they're biting. It
0: feels it, like a bite, bite, yeah. My yeah, whole, uh, the south side of the wall, you're talking about insects, lots of them, box elder bugs. I, I think they're the Box elder bugs, or are they would they be the soldier beetles on the whole south side of our our the lake house, and it's a brown, dark brown house, but they only were hanging out on the white shutters on each side of the windows. So yep. uh, what what the heck is that all about? Do they, I mean, like white colored shutters better than brown siding? I couldn't figure that out.
1: They are box elder bugs. I o- I opened the garage door when I got home, and uh, here they were around the the that part of the house. They do, uh, multicolored Asian lady beetles also seem to like white houses and white parts more. And they, uh, I like box elder bugs, you know, they don't bite me and they don't uh, crawl around on me. So I kind of like them. And I think they're pretty, Uh, they, I know if you... You probably, folks don't like them right by the front door or something. So it's soapy water. I don't know. Dawn soap or something in water and spray them and well, that usually does the trick.
0: I was using just a hose with water and I sprayed them because I was watering yeah. some plants and things and that just knocked them down for a second and then they were all back up again. So obviously the, the soap must be the key because the water itself the, did not work.
1: <laughs> the soap will do them in and uh, they aren't, again they aren't biting but they aren't harmful, but I know folks don't like them getting in the house and things yeah. like that. And you can put up a no-box elder bug sign like <laughs> I did, and that that didn't help at all. So. <laughs> uh, boy, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with Karen and me. You know, Fall asked, what did you do all summer? Boy, I spuddled, which means to work feebly and ineffectively because my mind was elsewhere. I. A few years ago, I spoke at a recreational vehicle convention. And there was a smart car salesman there, those tiny little cars. And this was shortly before they stopped selling that vehicle in this country. And their cars were the perfect size to pull behind a motorhome and he encouraged me to take one for a spin the diminutive car looked as if it'd be powered by a fifth grade science fair project i questioned its ability to hold a vertically enhanced individual like me but once inside you know it wasn't bad the car was about as wide as it was tall and i drove it from here to there and felt as if i were driving in a phone booth Uh, For some of you, a phone booth, it was a glass box with just enough room (laughs) for a phone and one human in it. But parallel parking had never been easier. Folks, I wish uh, whatever you want to describe as parallel parking today, I hope it has never been easier. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Uh, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company.
0: Thank you, Al. Always great to chat with you. We'll be back again next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.